Go to 1984. There's there's three really big yeah, it's songs. It's a pretty big out. year for Christmas songs. Huge year in 1984. So big that one of the best written songs of the Christmas you know Christmas era, all the Gen X, maybe one of the best songs that was written didn't even get the number one, you know, that coveted number one spot in the UK. Well, let's go with the one that did go number one first, and this this really changed, uh, you know, the face of a decade. I think. This, this was a landmark song. It's Christmas time There's no need to be afraid At Christmas time We let in light And we banish shade And in our world This is the all-star making of the band Band-Aid. So it was a collection of all these great artists of that time. And you can hear them in the song, you know, from Bono, from U2, Simon LeBon from Duran Duran, uh, George Michael, Boy George, Paul Young, who mm-hmm. starts the song out. I didn't know that that was originally written for David Bowie. David Bowie was supposed to sing the opening lines to the song and for whatever reasons became unavailable and couldn't do it and then Paul Young stepped in to to do it but this was a project that was put together by a a man named Bob Geldof who was a performer with the Irish band Boomtown Rats watched a uh, BBC uh, news uh, story on the famine that was going on in Africa at the time and he was so moved by the piece that he decided to try and do something that he could could help to contribute to maybe providing some relief. Yeah, and he also um, created this song with Midge Ure, you know, who was from, what the band was, Ultravox or... I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, definitely a bigger artist over in the UK, but somebody I was aware of, but you can kind of hear that little, that's that mid-80s synth in the background, which I still think is great. You can, and, you know, when, when you... Even though he didn't sing on the song, you, the drumming was done by Phil Collins. And as soon as you say, oh, Phil Collins did the drumming, then you can go back and listen to that song again. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, that's definitely... Because Phil Collins has a very specific way of drumming that is easily identifiable, and he was he was part of that on the song. And I think some of the rhythm from, I think, John Taylor 
from Duran Duran uh, played on this as well as uh, the drummer from uh, did some percussion from uh, Culture Club. So, you know, there was it was a whole uh, group effort. Bananarama was was a part of it. You know, think of some of the bigger names, even uh, Cool in the Gang uh, was was a part of this. And Jody Watley from Shalimar, she was living over there at the time. She was a part of that. And there was uh, it. But what it did was it unified a, a world really for a cause. And I remember as a kid, and Sean and I have mentioned the fact that we went to you know private Christian school growing up, and there was a local Christian station, WJTL, that is still on to this day. But I remember them playing the song. And that was the first time I could ever remember a song being played on a Christian radio station that had secular artists on it. But they, it seemed like everybody was rallying behind the cause for what the song was about. Right. It, so we had two things going on there, right? You, you had this this cause, you know, the, the the famine going on in Africa, and then they came out with just this this fabulous song. Where I I don't care for the the USA for Africa song nearly as much. It's okay. It it's it's a moment that is I I, I like the moment more than I like the song. It's, it's an okay song, but it was kind of thrown together. Where this is something that it's uh, it's a song. This is iconic. Yeah. This song is iconic. Uh, uh, USA for Africa, it, it did what it was meant to do, but it's very dated. It is. And it, I like the fact that there are all those, you can, the different artists are part of it. Right. And that kind of makes it neat. It it's, makes it a part of the, of the culture. It makes it a part of the movement that was happening at the time. But as far as just a song, a, a well-crafted, well-produced, well-written, well-sung song, this song's way better. Yeah, and I think the USA for We Are the World was more about the message, sure, and and putting as many uh, voices in the song that they could fit, and it was about the message of uh, and, and it worked for what they were trying to do. It did, yeah, yeah. But this this song, there's a reason why this song still gets played to this day. And also, uh, you know, another name that doesn't always get mentioned is one of the other producers on this was Trevor Horn. And for those of you who may remember, Trevor Horn was in the band The Buggles. So he's the first vi- in the first video ever played on MTV, Video Killed the Radio Star. But he also was a well-known producer. He was uh, the producer of Yes when they had the big comeback with uh, Trevor Rabin and, uh, you know, for the owner of A Lonely Heart. But he also was the producer and in many ways the brains behind Frankie Goes to Hollywood and created that sound. So he was very much the hip producer at the time, just like Quincy Jones was the hip producer in the U.S. at the time. Mm-hmm. That was Trevor Horn in, right. in the U.K. So that was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid, and we're in the year 1984. The song that got bumped from number one, never got to number one, and was stuck at number two was another Christmas song. And like I said, arguably one of the greatest Christmas songs of the Gen X era. some way sean this song has become more famous than do they know it's christmas because it's been covered so many times by so many different artists because it was such a well-written song and and george was a young guy when he wrote this song oh, he was. was probably maybe 23 or 24 yeah, it's amazing the the type of songs he wrote in the early days of wham yeah and this is when he was really starting to come into his own as an artist and i I have the book written by, the autobiography written by Andrew Ridgely, and he, he chronicles the time that they spent together in Wham. And he said at this point, you know, he knew, Andrew knew that George was going to a different level, that he was not going to be able to be along for that ride. And, you know, while he felt that it was 
really important that William did what they did as a group because it helped prepare George for the next step because I guess he suffered from so much anxiety when he was a young performer. And that just the fact that there were the two of them out there gave him a little bit more self-assurance that he, uh, that he could go out there and perform like, you know, a concert. So at this point though, he's really starting to separate himself as a top echelon songwriter and performer. And I talked about the, um, Paul McCartney song as being in my, you know, top five all time. That's in my top five all time songs. I love that song. It's, it's, hard for me to even express how much I like that song because it's so good. And once again, it's of the times. It's 1984. I'm 16 years old. So it's going to hit me at, at a prime time. And I, I just took to it immediately. Um, we go back, it was the MTV era. I go back to the video. I liked in that documentary uh, that we, we referenced um, on Wham where they talk about shooting the video mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're kind of they have, there's this this table scene where they're they're drinking and and having a good time and they in real life they were hammered oh yeah <laughs> as you saw the documentary that they got like out of control and because there's you know one point like Andrew's just laughing uncontrollably in the video and then he's like oh yeah I was completely drunk and Look, everybody yeah. was yeah so that was last Christmas from 1984 also uh, our 18th song from 1984 this is not an up and coming band but this is a band that was kind of the well established veterans at this point but they decided to release a a christmas song and this one turned out to be one of the best 1984 was a good year for christmas music good year for music in general yeah So this is Thank God It's Christmas by the band Queen, and this was from the year 1984. And Sean, I know that, and it's such a great movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, and they they do such a marvelous job of recreating some of the scenes from Freddie Mercury, but, but one of the things that yeah. they tried to make it seem as though Queen was washed up. When and Freddie was even around in 1984, yeah, that, he was off on his own. That that Live Aid when Queen performed like it was this miraculous comeback, but this this song was a huge hit the year before Live Aid was done. Queen was still very relevant at this time, and this was a huge hit for them. Yeah, they continued to be big over in Europe. I mean, especially in their home country of England, where the, the, the fact that you, as you mentioned earlier, that it's a big deal in the UK to have the number one Christmas song. You have three all-timers yeah. competing, and it, it, there should be no shame in you know Queen and Wham not able to get the top spot, um, you know, to what was a, a, a huge cause and a huge movement. But any of those songs, any other year, uh, either of those two songs could have been number one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, those, um, you know, for for this list here, I would put this song by Queen within the top 10 out of 32 songs. So that was 1984's Thank God It's Christmas by Queen. Then we're going to jump ahead to 1988. There was a landmark album that came out in the United States that was called A Very Special Christmas. And it was put together by the Kennedy family, of all people, because they were, they've always been greatly involved with the Special Olympics. And this was an album that was put together to raise money for the Special Olympics, and it succeeded. It was successful beyond their wildest dreams and if you have don't have this particular cd or album i highly recommend that you go back and um either just listen to it or get get your hands on it somehow because it is top to bottom even though that most of it are covers they got people to do some of the best cover songs that i can remember for christmas music and i know i, I said to you sean about 
you know, the, the John Mellencamp, I Saw Mommy uh, Kissing Santa Claus. To me, that's my favorite, better than the Jackson 5. I, I just love the way that Mellencamp, because it's so Mellencamp the oh, way yeah. he does it. Uh, you know, uh, Bon Jovi's in it, and um, the Pointer Sisters are in it. And the Pointer Sisters have Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Brian Adams is a part of this. Right. And it's just... Eurythmics are part of it. Eurythmics. Whitney the, Houston. The Pretenders. The the Pretenders, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, is iconic, you know, for for our era. But the one there's two original songs that were on this album, and the one it just transcended. These guys were already the most popular group of their genre when this came out, and this took them to a whole other level. And uh, just a great fun song. This song was so popular that they actually included it in their next album, which was Tougher Than Leather. It came out just after this. Hold on. So, Sean, sure, you had to get Daryl Mack in there. That's right. Uh, that, that's that's like my favorite part of the were song. You, were you a Run fan or were you a Daryl Mack fan? Ah, uh, boy, you know it, it was tough because with the Beastie Boys, I could, I, I definitely liked Ad Rock. So I, I was more like the when, when I would do the raps right. myself. I probably did more Run stuff. Okay, because I was I was Daryl Mack, but I, I always thought Daryl was super cool. But his his delivery wasn't quite my delivery, okay. so I, yeah. I liked them both. Yeah, um, but this is Christmas in Hollis by the Great Run DMC, and uh, I, to me, this this really was the reason I went out and bought the the CD for this was for the Run DMC song, and then I it turns out I found all these other great songs, you know, Madonna's Santa Baby, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just so many well done covers on this particular album but this was this was the one this and the other original the the, the next song i'm going to play isn't even a, a technically an original but it's uh, not something that's been done in the pop era it's actually a, a former hymn and this was the contribution done by sting and this is called gabriel's message the angel So that was actually a hymn that was sung, but it had never been released before. So that was Gabriel's message by Sting. But 1988 is a very special Christmas. Really huge for me because it came out my senior year of high school. And MTV really got behind it. And a lot of these songs, like I said, just incredibly done and, and well done by the top musical acts of that era. And it was something that really made it, you know, stood out to a person like myself. And I'm sure for many people when it was released. Well, I I was I was brought in by the Run DMC song for sure, but their 
you would hear everything else that was on this album. I mean, we rattled a whole bunch of them off, and I kind of forgot how many of the songs that I've come to expect as part of the holiday season now were part of that album. Right. So that was from 1988. Let's go to 1989. And Sean, who was the biggest act of 1989, would you say? Boy, 1989. Uh, we talking like Bobby Brown? Uh, Whitney pretty, Houston? Pretty close. Uh, maybe think Boston, maybe not New Edition, but... Oh, uh, uh, the New Kids on the New Block? New Kids on the Block. Yeah. They actually did a Christmas album in the uh, winter of 1989. So this came out right after I graduated. And this is probably their biggest hit that came off of that particular album. But it was a, a multi-platinum album that was released in, right at the end of the decade. Please listen. That is New Kids on the Block from 1989. This one's for the children. And Sean, that was a uh, it was a chart. It didn't go to number one, but it went pretty high on the charts. And this was at a time when everything that New New Kids on the Block were releasing was you know, going top ten or going multi platinum. And they uh, they I wouldn't say they took advantage of it because most of the proceeds from this album went to charity. But it was certainly a, a cash in on the name and the success of the album. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. They they certainly were super hot, and it. Uh, I do remember that being out. Um, it's it's one that I kind of forgot about, to be honest with you. Uh, but I do remember it at the time. So that was number twenty one on our list. We have actually eleven more to go to get to thirty two. Number twenty two is a song written by a very famous songwriter and producer, David Foster. David Foster. Have Dave, we ever talked about David I Foster? I think before? once or twice. Yeah. yeah. So that this isn't. I wouldn't say this is the most famous version, although it was re-recorded uh, with Natalie Cole. She was part of the original. It was redone with Natalie Cole. Maybe the more famous version came out two years later with a singer, a very famous singer by the name of Amy Grant. But this was a song that Foster wrote for his Christmas album, and it was kind of an all-star album where he brought in all these different acts. But this, to me, is a beautiful song that still holds up to this day.
So the vocals are done by the very famous Natalie Cole, David Foster on the piano and the songwriter for this song. But again, you know, it's a song from an adult's viewpoint. Sure. You know, it's, so many times we think of Christmas as for children, but this was certainly written with it with an adult's perspective in mind. And, you know, this is episode number 39, and, and we've had, you know, many, many parts to our episodes, so those of our loyal listeners have gotten to get a bit of some insight into what Scott and I like as far as our musical taste, and boy, that has my brother written all over it, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. I was a big Natalie Cole fan. <laughs> well, not just that. I'm, ta- I'm thinking, you know, the, the way the song is composed. Yeah. I mean, you definitely were David Foster's target audience. I definitely like the ballads. I was a big ballad guy. Well, the way he structures it. I yeah. mean, just the, the piano. I mean, it, he had kind of a system, how he went about doing it. it. It worked. You know, obviously, we talked about the time he spent with Chicago and, you know, even earlier with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. You know, but he definitely has kind of a structure that he uses. And when he gets to some of these female artists, he really kind of plays it out, especially those that can really build the music. Sure. and I, But I think, uh, like I said, the version that was done by Amy Grant was the one that was really, really popular. It, right. it came out two years later. Yeah. And then Natalie actually re-recorded it. at. Uh, she did a Christmas album around 2000. And she did, it was in a whole new, they did more of a of a string instrumental. It's a little less piano, a little bit more orchestra. And I think it was done, uh, you know, a, a, another great job. Right. But that is David Foster on piano, Natalie Cole on vocals. Grown Up Christmas List from the year 1990. 1991 is a very famous song that was actually written by a, a couple of Christian songwriters and one of the singers uh, that was part of the Gaither Trio vocal group was uh, releasing a, a solo album. The artist's name is Michael English and there was uh, this is the original that was done in 1991. Sean, this song's been covered by many, many artists. I think my favorite version is a duet that was done with Kenny Rogers and Winona that came out in the early 2000s. Uh, another great, well-written song. You know, it's uh, written to Jesus' mother Mary, you know, from her perspective where it's asking her questions. Did you know this was going to happen when when you, you know, gave birth to Jesus? I think it was, uh, you know... A, well-written song and has been covered many many times by big names sure it, it is something that has become a christmas standard and it, it when you get those standards they tend to be covered by many many people absolutely so that was uh mary did you know and the artist's name is michael english number 24 on our list is from the success of a very special christmas in 1992 they came out with a very special christmas too so there were quite a few artists that again they brought together some some of the big names of that time uh, none bigger than tom petty and the heartbreakers who had enjoyed a ton of success they were now in their third decade of making music together and they were still pretty much were going strong at this point because they they were they had a successful album out and this, again, is one of the few original songs that was made for this next album, which is a very special Christmas, too. And this is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, it's Christmas time again. 
So that's Christmas all over again from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in 1992. And Sean, you know, when you look at the album for A Very Special Christmas 2, yeah, they're probably the old hats on the album, but uh, again, this is a song that is starting to kind of get a revival here in recent times, and I'll hear this on the radio now, where usually when a Christmas song comes out, there's about a 10-year period or so where it kind of goes away. But then if it's really well done, it'll start coming back. And that was, uh, you know, I thought that was a great, great example there of, of this particular one, Christmas all over again. So, And I think the same can be said with movies, because right now you will see uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in heavy rotation. Right. And I don't think it was considered a Christmas classic when it came out. And I saw it in the theater. I liked it. I thought it was really good. And then it, you know, kind of went away for about 10 years or so. Yep. And then suddenly it now is right up there with uh, Christmas Story as one of the classics, classics that you're going to watch every year. Yeah, you definitely can't get away from it during the holidays. And I would agree with you. So, you know, to connect that to the uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song, it, yeah, it's kind of the same where I, I don't think I really heard it for, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. But now it is starting to come back again. All right, so that was 1992's Christmas All Over Again by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. 1993 had some good Christmas albums that came out, and three in particular I'm going to play. One was hands down my favorite Christmas album at the time when it came out. This is an artist that doesn't really get much airplay today because he was sort of a throwback back then. He was a kind of a big band swing kind of guy in the 90s, and... You know, when people think big band swing, you think 40s, 30s, Mm -hmm. 40s. So I don't know if there's ever going to be a revival for Harry Connick Jr., but he did release a couple of Christmas albums. This one came out in 1993, and this was, at the time, my absolute favorite Christmas album from top to bottom. And this is my favorite song off the CD, and this was an original written by Harry. And you can hear that New Orleans swing when when he gets it going. Christmas Eve. My eyes were really drooping, but I really do believe it must have been on Santa. Cause I saw his big red head, and I know my mom and dad can't buy like that. Oh no. So, Sean, you can definitely hear that kind of that Dixieland, that New Orleans swing, which is where he was born and raised in the, in the city of New Orleans. This was an album that he was written with almost, in, he did do a couple of covers on it, but this is mostly original material, and it just shows how prolific he was at that time. He came out with an album just after that that was called 25, which he wrote for his 25th birthday. It was like his seventh or eighth album that came out at that particular time. Harry Connick Jr. was churning out a lot of material, and this was before Will and Grace. This was before Independence Day when he when he was an actor. This was him as a straight performer, and yeah, he was a big deal at, at this particular time. He was huge. He was huge, and this uh, this is a good song. I, I like this one. It's uh, you know it's it's a little non-traditional. In a way, because like you said, it's got that kind of New Orleans swing to it, but it it's different, and so that's kind of I think why I like it. Yeah, and this was the second song off of the CD. The first one was more traditional. It was Sleigh Ride, which was a cover, 
and then he goes into a lot of his uh, original material and it's it's anything from kind of ballroom waltzing kind of music to to this which is a little bit more aggressively from from his roots and his heritage it was just a, the, the name of the cd is called when my heart finds christmas so if it's something you want to go back and check it out there's more good songs on it to just this one so i highly recommend that you check it out this one is called it must have been old santa claus by harry Connick jr from 1993 the next song from 1993 is by a very famous artist um had a huge success in the 80s uh, with her band the miami sound machine that went out solo had a uh, had a horrific accident in the early 90s but had a big comeback and after that she decided to come out with a christmas album and one of the prettiest songs i think of the decade is a song that she did and this is from 1993 gloria estefan and christmas through your eyes big a fan of Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine as I was. Probably not. Um, but I, she always just struck me as such a grounded person. Like, somebody who became famous but didn't act famous, you know I what I mean? I don't know a whole lot about her personal uh, life. I, I, What I can tell you is that you know her husband Emilio, who was the head of Miami Sound Machine, when Gloria and her friend, when they were in college, he, Emilio, and they weren't dating at the time, he approached Gloria about joining the band because she was performing locally around school which was the University of Miami in Florida and she refused to join the band until she graduated okay <laughs> so she could have dropped out in like her sophomore year and joined Miami Sound Machine and probably would have had the same career that she ended up having now but she's like no I'm going to college I'm going to graduate and she and true to her word she held out until okay uh, but they've actually been married for all these years oh, since, since the mid 80s so it's uh, uh like i said she just uh such a well-respected person in the music industry as well but this was uh, a really nice christmas song that she came out with that that you hear even to this day what year was this 1993 because it does kind of have that uh, you know mid 90s kind it of does. sound yeah yeah it seems like there's there's a common thread and that's always the case with, with all music you have you know time periods where you know, you go back to do they know it's Christmas and you still have like the synth in the background. Sure. So, I, I mean, I'm not criticizing it, but yeah, you can definitely tell that that's like 93, 94, 95. So my third song from 1993, these are a couple of sisters that we talked about in our sibling episode and they came out with a Christmas album. Now they didn't, they weren't the full group, but they were two sisters from this particular, from this, uh, from a very famous group a few years before and they came out with a christmas album this was this is a good song that you will hear played even today
Sean, this is Carney and Wendy Wilson, and mm-hmm. the song is Hey Santa from 1993. I remember this song. Yeah. It was. Uh, it got a lot of airplay, and it's, again, here's a song that's starting to come back. You're starting to hear it more and more on the radio compilations or wherever that you listen to Christmas Christmas music. Well, as I've pointed out, I am not listening to Christmas music <laughs> yet, because I wait until Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but I... Um, couldn't have said that this is making a comeback, but I, I think it should. It's like I, I totally thought it was a good song back in the day. What, what kind of surprised me, um, you don't really think about how old the song is that it's now 30 years old. Uh, for me, it was like I knew that Carney and Wendy Wilson made an album after Wilson Phillips broke up, but I didn't realize it was that soon after Wilson Phillips broke oh, up. Oh, really? They made this after they broke up? In 1993, I guess they had just kind of gone their separate ways. See, I was not an aficionado in Wilson Phillips. I, I, I must admit, I, well, that, I, I think did not China, know that. China at this point married one of the Baldwin brothers, and so she kind of retired. Billy. Yeah, she married. She married William Baldwin. Yeah, or Billy, as we like to call him. <laughs> but, <is> Billy. <laughs> but they, she kind of, uh, kind of became a uh, stopped uh, getting into show business and. Stopped singing and became, uh, you know, a wife and a, and a mom. Okay. Which, nothing wrong with that, but I'm sure Carney and Wendy Wilson, they wanted to keep making music, and they did with, with this particular Christmas album. So, Hey Santa from Carney and Wendy Wilson. The album title is Hey Santa, and that was 1993. Let's move to 1994, Sean, and two really iconic Christmas songs, but or I would say Christmas songs, two iconic holiday songs that couldn't be any further different okay. than each other. So let's go ahead and dive into the first one because let's face it, this holiday starts before Christmas. Okay. This, uh, this is a song that, uh, there's a lot of Christmas songs out there and uh, <laughs> not too many Hanukkah songs. So... Uh, <laughs> Wrote a a song for all those nice little Jewish kids who don't get to hear any Hanukkah songs. Here we go. Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah. So much Hanukkah to celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is... Festival of Lights. I bet you most Gen Xers could probably <laughs> recite the song. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. <laughs> when you feel like the only kid in town without a Christmas tree, here's a list of people who are Jewish, <laughs> just like you and me. David Lee Roth lights the menorah. <laughs> so do James Conn, Kirk Douglas, and the late Dinah Shora. Guess who eats together at the Carnegie Deli? Bowser from Shanana and Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> so, Sean, you know, we were fans of Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. And Adam Sandler used to go on to like the news segment get in, and play songs on his guitar. And he always played like these silly songs. Mm-hmm. Now he gets fired from SNL and he starts doing these college tours where he's playing, uh, you know, college venues and doing stand up comedy, which he did before he joined Saturday Night Live. He was Stubboy on remote control. And so he writes one of these silly songs and it becomes. A song of the one of the songs of the generation. Well, he he performed this on SNL. I mean, I, I remember him performing this. I, he, I think he did come back and do it. But I think at some point he's on there, and I mean, I just it it's you know it is amazing that this has become a generational. It's a Gen X standard. It is. It, it, like I said, you would be hard pressed 
to find a Gen X uh, person who, you know, if they can't recite the whole thing, they could probably recite most of it. And it allowed David Lee Roth to once again be mentioned in the Gen X podcast or Gen X playback podcast. That's true. So that was 1994's The Hanukkah Song by Adam Sandler. The other song that came out in 1994 is something that seems to be growing in popularity more and more to this day, to the point of where this particular artist now, uh, I labels herself as the Queen of Christmas, and that would be Mariah Carey. And she came out with a Christmas album in 1994, and this is the signature song off of that. And it has been covered and recovered so many times since that day. is mariah carey and all i want for christmas is you you know you could argue and say that looking back on it, it might be the most uh memorable christmas song of the decade oh i think so i mean I, I really do that's that is one of the most iconic gen x christmas songs it's one of the biggest christmas songs ever yeah it truly is and like i said mariah carey is somebody who had such huge success in the 90s as a as an artist and a performer. But when you think about Mariah Carey now, and you think about the music, this is probably the first song that comes to mind. And it, because it, it gets played more and more, it seems like all the time, it's been covered by so many different artists. It is kind of amazing to me that I'm still not tired of it. And I like the Mariah Carey version. It's probably the only one I really like. You know, the other ones are okay. But, I mean, she originated it it's it, that's that's the standard with her and i i still think it holds up really well i uh, you know yes i still think th this is my favorite version but i would recommend and it wasn't done during gen x so that's why you know it wasn't part of this list or anything but check out the a version by michael blue blay and okay. you'll be pleasantly surprised because it's completely oh, he's good different. i like him so this is all i want for christmas is you by the queen of christmas mariah carey Three to go. Let's go to 1997. And there's two I have from 1997. The first one is by probably the biggest act of their time, uh, you know, the 96, 97 era, and that'd be the Backstreet Boys. Well, they came out with an uh, album called Platinum Christmas, and this is their song called Christmas Time, and this was a big hit for them. Big family filled with love. 
you know, when we talked about the the synth in Do They Know It's Christmas, mm-hmm. this really does scream the era in which it came out, which was 1996, 1997. You know, the, the boy band was at its peak of popularity, and it was the kind of the over-the-top uh, harmonies and vocals that the 90s became known for. It was like evolved from... Uh, you know, I want to sex you up by Color Me Bad, and it kind of evolved into this as the boy band made a made a comeback in the latter part of the decade. But this, uh, you know, this is to show their vocal range, and it's still you know, these guys are all great singers, and not a bad song, but it definitely certainly says 1997. It's okay, uh, and I actually like boy bands. You know, it's I mean it's not my favorite thing, but I, I appreciate them. And we will, uh, listeners, we will do an episode somewhere down the road with with doing boy bands, just because that really did define at least the late 90s. And I'm not surprised that they would you know also have a Christmas song involved there. But that's it's not really something for me that's Dan's the test of time, like um, you know some of the other ones. It's certainly not going to be there with Mariah Carey. Sure, right. So that was 1997's Christmas Time by the Backstreet Boys. Number 31, our second to last song on the list. There was a uh, a wonderful piano player, and he composed quite a few uh, you know nice melodies by the name of Jim Brickman. And this was a Christmas song that he came out with in 1997 as well. And he added a couple of vocalists to join him, uh, Colin Ray and Susan Ashton. And this is a song that's been covered many times, and this is called The Gift. When the snow is falling down, children laughing So again, you know, it's, it's your brother, and he's <laughs> falling for another sappy song. But yeah, uh, you know, Jim Brickman is somebody that, during this late '90s, early 2000s, had had quite a few songs that came out that I really enjoyed, and this was certainly one of my favorites. I, I think for me, it's 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 debatable as to whether or not it's considered a, a traditional Christmas song, but it gets put in with a lot of Christmas compilations and. You know, Jim Brickman is, if you ever heard him play piano, he's, he's amazing, so. Well, it sets a mood. I mean, we, we, we kick off the entire episode, um, you know, where, uh, what was the first song that you played? This Christmas. This Christmas, yeah. So it's fireplace. Yeah, it's the, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, I'm not going to criticize it. it. It's obviously popular, it, you know, it's... It's uh, it's a formula that works, and there's nothing wrong with that. To to want to have the uh, the lights of the tree on, the, the rest of the lights in the house down, and the fire flickering on in the fireplace or on the TV, as you kids, talked about. The kids are in bed. It's just yeah. like that scene from a Christmas story at the very end when the you know the kids are upstairs asleep, and it's just mom and dad, and they're downstairs, and they're just they have the lights out except what's on the tree, and they're just kind of looking at the snow falling outside in the tree. So it's just kind of chance for them to have their moment together instead of it all being about the kids. Just because I prefer the waitress's Christmas wrapping <laughs> over that. You know, that's our listeners and you can have your well, own opinion. I think I saved one of the best for last. So this okay. is our final song. We're going to go to 1998. And what bigger act in 1998 than NSYNC? So NSYNC came, of course, NSYNC came out with a Christmas album called Home for the Christmas. 
And I, I got to admit, this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. Can has to be played every year. Sean, in the same vein as Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time, mm-hmm. Elton John's Step Into Christmas. It's just light and fun. It's about having a good time and enjoying Christmas. You've redeemed yourself. <laughs> you, you, I'm glad you ended on a high note because I like that. That's that's much more my style. That you know the the upbeat poppy tempo. That's much more my style. You know, and In Sync is is a band that they were so huge and. Willie, you know, Justin Timberlake has had so much success as a solo artist. Will NSYNC ever ever come back? Because they didn't, they didn't break up. It, it, you know, it wasn't a bad divorce. You know, they just kind of went their separate ways. And could there possibly be a NSYNC reunion somewhere down the road? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not somebody that's going to sit there and say I'm going to go rush out and see him in concert. But uh, you know, NSYNC was really popular. Mm-hmm. Sure. Back in the late 90s. And I think they, along with the Backstreet Boys in 98 Degrees, they were some of these bands that really brought popular music back to new levels that we hadn't seen in you know, 10, 15 years. These guys could sing. They could. I mean, it's, it's not that they were Milli Vanilli. You know, for the most part, these were kind of hand-picked individuals. You know, Lou Pearlman, who was the kingmaker back then, was had his, you know, did he have an academy where he was kind of like uh, putting these bands together somehow? Well, they had a TV show one time, I think it was O-Town, was they auditioned people and that's how they it was done through a TV show. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, he was trying to, he was the, uh, the Florida version of Maurice Starr mm-hmm. uh, up there in Boston who, who did New Edition and New Kids on the Block where he kind of took the same formula and, and, and created a little bit later in the decade. Um, but no, it's, it's, that's music. I still like, I mean, it, it, it's good music. And like I said, you redeemed yourself. I like that song. That's uh, that, that I think that deserves to be there with some of the, uh, the other classics that you mentioned. Yeah, I do. And uh, again, it's a song that I always keep a, towards the top of my, my Christmas playlist. And I, I was glad to see that even in the two thousands, that there are still groups that are, putting out original Christmas music that, that, that I can, that I enjoy, you know, there's, um, well, even though it was a cover, but <laughs> I mean, even Justin Bieber did a Christmas song that I thought was pretty good. It was okay. pretty well done. Santa Claus is coming to town. He did it as, I wouldn't say it was a hip hop version, but it was, it was a little bit more tempo. Like we just listened. Is to. it as good as Christmas time in Hollis Queens? Uh, you know, no, okay. it's not because that's iconic. To yeah. Me. I mean, that's, that's a generational song there. Uh, and I did not know that chicken, uh, macaroni and cheese, and collard greens were the uh, were what you know Daryl Mack was having at his house. So, and I, I I I went to try collard greens after that song. So that is my list. You know, thirty two songs of original Christmas songs from the Gen X era. Uh, was there anything that you could that we missed? Is there anything that you could think? Not of, of originals. I mean, okay. they, because as you know, we just discussed before we went on the air. You know. The songs I had come up with, you know, even if I thought they were originals, it turns out that they were covers because that is traditionally mm-hmm. what is done at Christmas time, at least in the United States. You know, you'll take the songs that were kind of out of the American songbook, 
You know, you might take something from the 40s. You'd have to take something that Big Crosby um, made uh, into a big hit. You know, you get something that Dean Martin made into a big hit. And you do it again, and it's accepted by the older generation who hears it. And it's also a new generation is introduced. And oftentimes, like we were, you know, I said with Bruce Springsteen's Merry Christmas Baby here, I thought it was an original and it was a really old song. And I think some of the, some of our favorites of all time were, were covers. And like this Christmas, my favorite version of all time was a, a great 80s R&B artist. And that was Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne does a great version of this Christmas, my favorite, but it was a cover and it didn't, didn't include it. I think he also did that in the two thousands as well. But so it's nice to go back and, and look at some of these Christmas songs and, and revisit them and kind of see where some of the origins came with some of them, because uh, they're probably like up until I was putting this list together, I didn't know that Michael English was the original singer for Mary. Did oh, you I know? didn't know that either. And, and how it came, came to be. So hopefully, you know, not only did you get to hear some songs that maybe you liked, maybe you heard some stuff that was new, like you had said about the Tommy and Johnny Cash song was something right, that, yeah, that you hadn't, hadn't really heard before. So hopefully we, we uncovered some, some gems that maybe you'll want to go back and listen to. If you want to listen to this playlist in its entirety, it's going to be up on Spotify and it's going to be listed under Gen X Christmas. And probably for me, more importantly for, for our listeners is hopefully we brought back some good memories of, of Christmas. It's, it's not always the case. You know, sometimes you might have to go through what Dolly Parton sings about in hard candy Christmas mm-hmm. where you didn't have good times, but hopefully this episode takes you, our listeners, back to a good place. And as you're looking to maybe create some good memories of this Christmas, maybe have this on in the background. As you know, Scott said the last episode. You know, maybe you're you're making the Christmas cookies, or you're just getting together with the family, and you're sitting around. And if you listen to this, and maybe this can be a playlist that you throw together and have some good memories. So for us to get this playlist in, in this episode, in our uh, part three of Gen X sports movies will be played after Christmas, and then we'll be heading into the new year. So um, that'll the next one up will be episode number 40. Can you believe it, Sean? Hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, it is hard to believe that we've been doing it for this long and have uh, 40. But so what I decided to do with episode number 40 is kind of stay with the, the holiday theme the end of the year theme, beginning of a new year, and maybe come up with something, again, much like Scott said with the Christmas episode, where it becomes a tradition for us. So I always enjoyed, Scott, when it would be the end of the year, where you would hear the top songs throughout the year. And it's true today. It's like I like when Spotify notifies me of what I've listened to throughout the year. It's kind of neat to see you know, who were my top artists that I, I listened to? And so I always look forward to that, you know, whether it was December and January to see actually who were the biggest, uh, you know, what were the biggest songs of the year. So I'd like to do that. And, you know, I, I decided we'll make our very first episode where we do the Billboard Top 40 mm-hmm. for a year. We're going to do 1979. Okay. And I picked 1979 because it's pivotal in a couple of different ways. Number one, for me personally, it's pivotal just because... I'm, you know, starting to grow up a little bit. You know, it's I'm 11 years old at Christmas in 1979. And so as I, you know, I, I'm still a little kid. You know, I, I haven't quite hit, hit junior high school yet. And, uh, you know, it's that in-between stage. But for me, I kind of like that. It was I'm starting to grow up and I'm starting to become my own person. But also 1979 is the turning of a decade. So we're moving from the 70s into the 80s. And the, as we all know, Gen Xers, the 80s may be the greatest decade of all time, hmm. and it. but we're in store for, for a wonderful time. But also, when I looked at the charts for 1979, you see, because we're taking the entire year into consideration, you see a change. You see we're moving out of disco. By the beginning of the year, there's a lot of disco songs. By the end of the year, disco's kind of on its way out, and we have some different types of sounds coming in. So I thought it'd be kind of neat to be able to touch on that because both of those genres feature prominently on the list. So let's do that. Let's let's do our next episode and recap the uh, biggest songs of 1979. I think that'll be fun, and I think a lot of our listeners will, will definitely get a kick out of revisiting that. So we're going to bring in InSync to kind of help bring us home here. 
So we just want to thank everybody for listening as we're coming up on the end of 2023 and we're going to start to turn the calendar over for, for another year. And Sean and I, again, so appreciative of all of our listeners. I think I counted, we're up to something like 26 countries now, just about all 50 states in the U.S. And, uh, you know, as we're coming into the reflection of the end of the year in the holiday season, uh, you know, we want to say thanks for being a part of this group. And, you know, we consider ourselves a community, a family of sorts. And, uh, you know, as you're going into the holiday season, you know, Hug your loved ones, uh, you know, just reflect on, uh, you know, what how important people are. And uh, we, we wouldn't be able to do this without listener support like yours. Right. And, you know, at the time of this recording, you know, we, we talk about our rankings on Feedspot. And we're up to number four. And we owe that completely to you, our loyal listeners, because, you know, we're, I think we're the only... A podcast, Gen X podcast, up there that has zero social media presence. <laughs> so I think we're going to change that at some point. Hopefully in the new year, maybe we'll get some things up. Um, but uh, could be more more thankful for you, our listeners, for those of you who are spreading the word and, and making us grow. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, on behalf of Sean and myself, we will talk to you next year, and we will uh, we'll talk about the end of the year, that being 1979. So. Uh, We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we'll talk to you then. See ya.